0: A couple other things you might not know about me are, are, are the following. One, uh, during a few of my university years, uh, I was a muscle-bound cheerleader uh, with bleach-blonde hair. Hard to imagine, I know. Uh, this, yeah. But that's a story for another time. There is uh, another thing you might not know about me is I was a very serious artist growing up when I was younger. Um, I would salivate at the opportunity to draw anything mechanical. I ultimately uh, went to to become a mechanical engineer student, so that's probably where it all began. But I loved the challenge of capturing every detail down to the most intricate parts. And uh, so as a boy, I sat for hours in front of my transformer toys, drawing from from pencil to paper every little detail I could find. But as a teenage boy, that passion, that preference, turned towards the automobile. I loved anything that moved... um, and I remember one particular car piece I created in high school in a, in a computer art class. I think it was like Mac Paint, something like that. Um, and it, and it, it's easy to remember because I worked on it for nearly half the school year. And I, I didn't know when to stop. That was the problem. In my mind, if there were still details of the car missing on the digital canvas. There was still work to be done if I could liken the work to a journey, you could say that I had yet to reach the destination, and I was quite enjoying the journey itself. So my teacher allowed me to carry on as the other students moved on to other projects that year. And then finally, though, at some point, the teacher had to call time. (laughs) And, um, hey, there we are. Um, But at first, I was content with the result. I mean, hey, it it was really something to behold. It was a prime piece in my art portfolio. And yet... If I looked at that piece today, I'd still notice some of the missing details, those details I just, I just didn't get to do yet. There was more to, to discover in that journey. Well, knowing Jesus is a beautiful journey of artful discovery too, and it's happening right here, right now, continually in progress. And It's like an oil painting or a computer art project. With each brush or mouse stroke, uh, we discover a newfound element. And, and those strokes, are, they're just layered. They're layered upon each other, and, and new details emerge from them. And if you would take some time to look, as one does in an art gallery, you would begin to get a sense of that artist's journey, wouldn't you? But add the layer of the world we live in, and that journey of knowing Jesus becomes an expedition fraught with all sorts of danger and road signs pointing the wrong way. And these layers of the world pile on like thick lenses to sort an image. So influences like culture, stereotypes, misinformed interpretations, and intentional misleadings, to name a few, and they all make the fog roll in. Now, I don't know if you can see it, but there are two pictures here on the screen, um, and, uh, and it's not far from where we live, basically in the street. But these shots of Chapman's Peak and Surrounds were taken in the morning, but on two different days, Thursday and Friday this week, in fact. And this picture, by the way, came to me earlier in the week. I'm like, if, if only I'm going to have to go through Google Photos and find two shots that are very, vaguely similar. And what would you know? The next day, we had Thursday, that absolutely gorgeous day, right? And then Friday, we had that incredible fog, at least on the Nordic side. Now, if you weren't already familiar with that scene, though, it would be difficult to convince you on the right-hand side, the foggy one, that there was a majestic mountain and a deep blue sea there, right? They, had yet to be, they have yet to be discovered. So on the way to school on that day, Friday, the foggy morning, my five-year-old daughter, Addie, says to me, Daddy, I can clearly see nothing. <laughs> Cute. It's a bit profound, actually. But what she said next melted my heart as a daddy. But I can clearly see you, Daddy. In the midst of the fog, a daughter could locate her dad because she knew him, could recognize his voice, and declare her discovery in delight. What love. But there's an even greater love at work, and it's one worth pursuing more than any other. And it's one that you will find if you seek it, despite a world full of fog and the danger of misunderstandings that could cause us to miss it altogether. So this is when I get to say, Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. It's what helps us discover and discern the truth about Jesus and his love. In today's passage, we've been in Mark uh, for many weeks, and it's amidst the crescendo of Mark's story of Jesus. And steadily, artfully, in fact, Mark is moving us along a path toward the cross where Jesus purchased forgiveness and salvation for humankind. So my lovely wife, Natasha, is going to read today's text from Mark chapter 8.
1: Good morning. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from very far, from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said, that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat, into the boat, with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanuta, where's the biblical scholars. (laughs) The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeing from him a sign from heaven, uh, sorry, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and they said to him 12 and the 7 for the 4000 how many baskets full were of broken pieces did you take up and they said to him 7 and he said to him, said to them do you not yet understand
0: thanks love i'm let's pray god we welcome you in this place this morning We ask that your voice be made heard and what you have to say received in our hearts. Father, won't you uh, speak to each one of us this morning and uh, help us to just put aside anything that might be distracting us or otherwise getting in the way of what you have to do with us this morning. Amen. All right. I'm usually liking. Uh, I don't know about you, but you know, like, where are we going? This one before you get a trip. Like, which, where, what's our, what's our, what's our roadmap? So here's here's a quick one. Uh, we're going to begin by making some just simple observations to this text, and as we do that, we're going to take gaps to just interpret what that meant in that time, and then finally, we're going to see how this applies to us in our lives. So let's look at the characters of the story, and let's start with the, the crowd. The crowd. I mean, this wasn't the first time a crowd gathered around Jesus. It confirmed It's confirmed in verse 1, right from the beginning, where it says the word again, or another large crowd gathered. And sure enough, we've been there a little while ago, back in chapter 6, two, two, two chapters ago, and a few months prior to this time, a group of 5,000 plus gathered around uh, Jesus and the disciples. And we know that this crowd was comprised, the difference would be, other than the number, they comprised more of Gentiles than of Jews this time. And this was in contrast to the last time, uh, being more Jewish, and that Jesus actually is finding a reception amongst these Gentiles, more so than he did among the Jews. And that's interesting. And we also know that they were really hungry. (laughs) They were really hungry, far away from home and in a desolate place. Imagine what that would be like. Maybe some of you have been there before that describes those, that kind of uh, situation. So they were prone to faint, even just Jesus says so in verse 3. If they had tried to travel any further, their bodies wouldn't take them there. So going back home wasn't an option. And at some stage of this journey, right, they, they passed this point of no return. You know, that, that moment in the journey when you won't have enough fuel or food to return to your place of origin if you go any further. And another thing we know about the crowd We know that they were more than just mildly interested in what Jesus had to say. Now, they either didn't plan well for a three-days-and-counting journey, or their travels were just unexpected. And over the the few days, they found themselves drawn to this man and his teachings so much that the basics of living became less important to them, keeping their tummies full. It likely had more, more to do with that one, The latter. Confirmed by the fact that the phrase with me that Jesus uses in verse 2 is a rare and intensified version of the word remain, that their being with Jesus was intentional and the crowd was drawn to him, drawn. That's a cool word. I have time. Yes, I'm going to do it. I have a short story. A young man and a woman had their first date. It was for tea at a local cafe. Now, the man didn't even drink coffee, let alone tea, but if, if it was to meet up with this incredible young woman he had met in church a few weeks back, then tea drinker he would be, at least for them. The fact that he was 45 minutes late and, almost gave, and she almost gave up on him paled in comparison to the hours that they spent at that cafe once he did show up. But early on in that time, certain words came to him in their conversation in his mind, but he just couldn't bring himself to say them aloud. I mean, it was their first date. No one says these words on their first date. They're not one of the ones I think you might be thinking of, but the words that he finally jumped up the courage to say to her, I feel drawn to you. I feel drawn to you. And do you know what she said in return? I feel drawn to you too. (laughs) Cue hearts leaping out of chess. (laughs) Those words initiated an adventurous journey of discovery for these two young people, one that continues to this day, more than 18 years later. Oh, I know, I know. 18 years this month, in fact, I think that 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 first date happened. Anyway, some things we need to observe about the disciples. They were cheeky with Jesus, weren't they? They were so tired and hungry too, right? So we should give them a pass. But they were leading out of their hunger, which isn't a really good place to lead out of. But this was their M.O., wasn't it? We've seen this already in the story of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, that they often missed the point when it mattered. They only considered at this stage the practical challenges of feeding thousands of people. And they didn't show faith for a miraculous solution. To be fair, unlike the Pharisees, who we'll get to now, they, they did not demand or hanker for a sign from Jesus. But, considering the considerable amount of time that they spent with Jesus already, they, they forgot that a similar miracle was witnessed just months beforehand. And this time, Jesus was, we can see him inviting, actually telegraphing to them the opportunity to, out of compassion and in faith, see and actively participate in a miracle. How did they missed Jesus in this moment. We'll come back to that, but let's continue our observations by looking at the Pharisees now. They wanted to pick a fight with Jesus, didn't they? They asked for a sign, but it wasn't a polite request, nor was it well-meant. No, as we read it, it came from a te- place of testing, it says there. The word sign they used is the same one they used, uh, that was used when Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days by Satan. It came from a failure to recognize the signs that were already being given up to this point. And they were demanding a sign of their own choosing on their own terms. Contrast this behavior with the crowds. The crowd wasn't hanging around to, to just demand a sign, put, put, put things on show. And, and compare, though, this, this behavior with the disciples, who just missed an opportunity to practice compassion and to ask Jesus to provide in faith. But I think Jesus would have responded, we will never know, but I think, I think, we know, we have a good idea that Jesus would have responded differently to the disciples had they asked. Not for a sign in terms of a test, but in faith and with compassion. But the Pharisees, they felt threatened by Jesus. We've seen this before uh, in the story of Mark. They, they, They were hoping for a political liberator messiah, who would set the nation free from the power of Rome and its corrupting influences. And the, and the Pharisees weren't seeing this trait in Jesus, so they desperately tried to publicly disprove him as the Messiah. So it's, it's worth mentioning a few things about Herod. Now, Herod's not in this story, but he's mentioned. So it's important to understand what this means. is that Herod was actually appointed by Rome, to be the king of the Jews, but he was really a puppet king. The Pharisees felt threatened by Jesus because they didn't want to disturb or risk this arrangement with Rome. So Herod himself, as well, he was hoping to be seen as a part of a line of loved Jewish kings who who caused the nation to prosper under his leadership. Of course, that didn't work out because uh, he was too self-absorbed to ever become such a king, Herod. What is worthy to note that the Pharisees and Herod, they had two things in common. And this was, first, they had already made up their minds about Jesus and refused to humbly accept him and trust in him. And secondly, they clearly and had a very different kingdom vision to Jesus. What about Jesus' kingdom vision? Well, let's finally take a look at Jesus and to make some observations about him from this text. Right from the get-go, verses 2 and 3, he had an unwavering compassion. An unwavering compassion, a deep concern for the crowd. The message translation of of verse 2 captures Jesus' words well. This crowd is breaking my heart, he says. Something else we see is that he takes control. He invites the disciples to take part and makes a miracle happen again. He did it before for the 5,000 plus, and now he's doing it for 4,000. With a little bread and some fish, all were satisfied, and more food is left over than what was started with. All the same, similar observations from last time. He sends the crowd home after the feeding. Another observation. Interesting. It seems like a throwaway statement, but I I thought it's curious. The incentive was purely a compassionate one then to meet their immediate need. There wasn't some next thing that Jesus wanted or needed them to stick around for. No, he didn't want something from the crowd. He wanted and did something for them, didn't he? He frustratingly refuses to perform a miracle when demanded by the Pharisees. He sighed deeply in his spirit, verse 12. He audibly groaned. That's what happened there. He wasn't about to give them what they were asking for because miracles were not done with the intention of convincing hardened non believers. Rather, his miracles demonstrated his mercy and his power to people who were, generally speaking, ready to believe. There was a softening there, ready to receive and believe. Something else we see. Verse 15, he, Jesus warns his disciples against the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees. And by yeast, he means the subtle influences. And of course, many of us would have become familiar with the effect of a little yeast through a lot of dough when trying our hand at baking during uh, the initial parts of the lockdown. So we don't have to explain that one. But when he told his disciples to be careful of the influence of Herod and and, and the Pharisees, the yeast, it was as though he was saying this. Be careful that you don't tend towards unbelief and prematurely making up your mind about me. And be careful that you don't think the coming kingdom of God is primarily a political one led by a literal political Messiah. Be careful. Don't tend towards unbelief and prematurely Make your mind up about me. In other words, he was wanting them not to have their hearts or their thinking about what God was doing corrupted or distorted by the Pharisees and Herod. i got to say this again. The disciples were wonderfully positioned to get super familiar with the voice of God up to this point, but we see how even those closest to him, the disciples, at the time were prone to lose sight of knowing him. Which brings us to a final observation about Jesus. He longs for the disciples to discover who he is. He longs for the disciples to discover who he is. Jesus wanted the disciples to realize that he was the long-awaited Messiah of Israel and of the world. And instead of just coming out and telling them, he gave them clue after clue, brushstroke after brushstroke, layer after layer in his teachings and his miracles. Two repeat, large-scale, feeding miracles were full of signs that he was the Messiah. So he wanted them to reflect on those miracles, to open their eyes, to open their ears and hearts, challenging them, challenging them at the end. Do you, not, do you still not understand? That's how where this passage finishes. It's kind of an awkward finish, isn't it? Do you still not understand? We can hear the frustration in Jesus' voice. In his words, as we read that. But more than that, after considering this entire passage and what led up to it as well in our our journey through the, the book of Mark, we can see his underlying, and we can see that it came from an underlying, genuine love for them. He wanted them to get it. I hope you could begin to see the real Jesus through the clear lens of Scripture today and to be more aware of how our view of him can so easily be unhelpfully influenced by the world around us, to the point that we might miss the king right in front of us. And if we fail to be careful about this danger, we could actually tend to become increasingly unbelieving, unbelieving, perhaps even rejecting the idea of God and supernatural altogether, or sentimental about God, perhaps thinking, well, God just wants to make this world a better place for all of us. But this is an incomplete picture of God. This, this would show that it is our culture, not Christ and the scriptures, that is shaping our hearts, attitudes, and belief systems about God. Don Everts, he's an author, and he wrote a book called Jesus with Dirty Feet. And he wrote this. Trying to come to some conclusion about Jesus from just stereotypes about him is a bit like trying to decide whether or not to go to the Grand Canyon when all we've ever seen is a grainy etch-a-sketch doodle of it. We know etch-a-sketch, right? The old uh, no, yes. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a little little drawing uh, toy, but it's just it's like an, a rough drawing of, of of the Grand Canyon. And once most of the misleading, inexact doodles are stripped away and we take a simple look at Jesus himself and the life he offers, we are in a much better place to form an accurate opinion of him. So I ask you, I ask myself, how many doodles of Jesus do you have? Perhaps we need to be honest with ourselves and decide to walk back some conclusions we've made about Jesus. Or perhaps... You haven't fallen prey to the stereotypes and think you have an okay mental picture of Jesus. But if you're honest with yourself, myself, it's an incomplete picture that sometimes causes misunderstanding. And if that's you, I want to encourage you that you're not alone. Even those with whom Jesus walked and talked, there was misunderstanding. Even though a person can hear the words, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Christ, Messiah of the world, They can still take a long time to really get it, to see it for themselves. But if we follow the clues that he leaves for us, it soon becomes clearer. And after all, this wasn't a man out to make a name for himself. And he wasn't just a man. When Jesus compassionately fed the 4,000, it wasn't just the hungry crowd whose need for food was miraculously met. Think about it. The disciples were there too. They were hungry and satisfied. Probably some Pharisees were lingering. They were there too. No one was left out. All were satisfied. In the same way, this story points to our greatest need being met to the full forgiveness. And oh, we so desperately need it. We're broken and incomplete. And we try to fill those holes ourselves with supposed remedies, but none of that lasts. And it often contributes to the brokenness. There's only one person who can fill that void. Only one who can give forgiveness. Paul describes it in Galatians, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He lived among us. So that we could see him amidst the fog of the world. He died on that cross so that we could be forgiven. And he rose again so that we could reflect his compassionate love to others. Let me say that again. He lived among us so that we could see him amidst the fog of the world. He died on that cross so that we could be forgiven and with him. And he rose again so that we can reflect his compassionate love to the world. Let's pray. The band to come up as well. I know many of us are in, in different places, and I recognize that. Um, but um, perhaps as we pray, uh, there's something that that's really stood out that we each can pray into. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a few thoughts. But I'd love for us to just pray as we prepare our hearts to uh, to respond now. Um, Father God, we thank you for another day you've given us, and a day that we're gathered here as 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 people on a journey, and uh, we thank you so much for this living word, this scripture that comes alive when we actually just just have a look and ha- open our eyes and our ears, that it's, it's not something where all of a sudden it makes sense, but yet, Father, you are continually leading us along, and, and Father, thank you for your relentless pursuit of us, made possible by you, Jesus, You're the one and only, the true king who went to the cross for us. King of our hearts, if we accept him. Oh, God, give us accepting hearts, receiving hearts, hearts ready to, to, uh, yeah, just, just surrender. Father, it says, as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Father, let that happen today. A drawing near. And Father, we thank you for your church. Thank you for your, your gathered uh, church that we get to seek, explore, find, and know you in community. Father, I pray for each one of our journeys right now. And as we, as we uh, stand, sit, <laughs> whatever, Father, in, in response uh, in these, these moments ahead, Father, won't you just speak to our hearts? Speak to our hearts. Make these words come alive and uh, impress, us, uh, with, impress upon our hearts um, what, what you're telling us. And I want you reveal more of those clues this morning about yourself that we may not have realized or have glossed over before. So, Father, won't you do that this morning. We know you can. Spirit, lead us. Amen.